This is Peter Holmstrom, and if you're a fan of Star Trek, check out my new book, The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, the official companion book to the hit documentary series by the Nacelle Company, which chronicles the history of Star Trek from the early days of Lucille Ball and Desilu all the way to through the end of Enterprise, featuring new and expanded interviews from Trek legends such as David Gerald, Rick Berman, Ronald D. Moore, Harold Livingston, Walter Koenig, Kate Mulgrew, Nana Visitor, Robert Picardo, Tim Russ, Brandon Braga, Lisa Klink, and of course, in Glorious Trexpert's own, Mark A. Altman, as well as the final interviews from Kirstie Alley and Leonard Nimoy, in addition to so, so many more. Pick up The Center Seat, 55 Years of Trek, available today in hardcover and digital wherever books are sold. Hey, this is Mark Altman of Inglorious Trexpert's in the 430 movie, and if you're a fan of our podcast, you don't want to miss Deck 78. Available now by subscribing at TrexpressPlus.com. This is a bonus podcast full of great discussions about popular culture, film, and television. By your command, here's a sneak peek. He's great. I actually like him better than Oscar Isaac. I mean, I think the Villeneuve is great. Version is great. Uh, It it surprised me how similar it is to the David Lynch version. And how people genuflect to it. It is a remake of the Lynch movie. Interesting. Because it, it, it leaves out the same scenes that the Lynch movie does. I, I, I think that's a strong statement because I think, look, the problem with Dune is that it is, I think it's very, very difficult to adapt because of the way that it was written and because a lot of the concepts that drive the storytelling and the adaptation choices that you have to make, I think by nature of what they are, push you towards the uh, the choices that are made in the Lynch film and in the Denis Villeneuve film, um, that you 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 kind of need to because otherwise it's very difficult, I think, to get your arms around what that story is going to be. Like to Herbert's credit, but also um, just I mean, if you kind of sit and just think about that that those books, any one of the books, as a writer, and you just and you imagine somebody saying, "Please adapt this," it's just like where do you even start? Where do you start? Uh, just uh, even like Lynch couldn't crack, you know, the um, the the how do you, you know, do the telepathic communication? It plays look, and as much as I love that movie, like it plays a little goofy in the uh, in the Lynch movie. And it's because it's such a difficult thing to adapt. Well, maybe if if George Lucas had done it, there would be more of the political machinations. Uh, yes. <laughs> in the script. Maybe Jimmy Smith's. But I think that what's cool about the Lynch version is, is that I know that this is mocked a lot, but that those, you know, sort of voiceover narrations where people were getting what they think are yeah. really close to the, the roving narration totally. in the novel. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where you're like, it's corny, I guess it would be a one way to, to, to describe it or goofy or off-putting. But it's funny because, I mean, I know, Mark, that you're a big Bond fan. So subscribe today at TrexpressPlus.com and don't miss a single episode of Deck 78. Fire the rockets. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Docterman. And this is Ashley Miller. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And welcome back to our exciting sixth season. Six. Our five-year... Six, our six, six. six. Our, our, no, our, no, no. Six. 
Our, our, our second five-year mission continues. The number of the podcast. At Warp Speed. Um, and today we have uh, two very special guests, two people we absolutely adore, the great Terry Farrell and Armin Sherman. Um, and no offense to Armin, we adore Terry a little more, but we love you too, Armin. We, we love them both. And we love them both. This is the first time we've actually had them together. Oh, it's great. And they have such great chemistry together. They worked uh, six years together on the show. They've been doing conventions probably for another 25 years since. And they just have remarkable chemistry and stories. And they just riff off each other so well. And again, this was an interview we conducted during the actor strike. So we don't talk much about Star Trek. We don't talk as much as we like to about Buffy or Back to School or right. Paper Dolls, but or I anything. think it's a fascinating, uh, <laughs> fascinating conversations as you would expect from the Drexpert. Um, and uh, we'll be joining with them in just a little bit. But first, I got to ask you, I, I, Darren, have you seen those remarkable new action figures from XO6? Indeed, I have, Mr. Kirk. Um, <laughs> I, the, uh, I, I placed an order for the Lieutenant Savick with the uh, with the excursion jacket, uh, it looks absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I'm thinking about uh, pulling the trigger on Cruge, even though he's uh, from a movie that I don't necessarily have on my top five list. Um, but the, there, and I just saw pictures today of uh, our friend Todd Stashwick as a, a six scale figure, which is incredible. I got I got to give uh, Nudgeon Tom Tom. Tam. Tam, I got to give him credit. Uh, uh, I mean, as much as he's putting out a bunch of crap I have no interest in, he is really putting out top quality action figures. Oh, absolutely. Um, at, a, at a record pace. No I question. mean, it's almost a little too quickly because I ordered Cruge, which, I, Cruge? I, you know, I have not had enough of him. I, I wanted him. I wanted to have him. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 and... Uh, and uh, this is just such a gorgeous sculpt, and, and it, I don't have any other done. Klingons in my collection. And I've come a uh, long way from Toys R Us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, and then a week later, Savic goes on sale, yeah. and like you, I got with the with the the beautiful jacket because yeah. uh, you know how could you not? It's uh, beautiful. That? And plus, I really like buying figures that haven't been released before, right. even though you know clearly these are a step up from. What Playmates was doing in the nineties, you know, well, but they're several steps up, but uh, yeah, they're, and, they're and some of these, are, they're but they're perfect. perfect in every detail. Yeah, and then today you mentioned Todd Stashwick, which I'll I'll definitely get, but um, Ensign Row, and right. I think I'm going to get that too. You know, it's, because uh, no one's ever done Ensign Row, no, other than those little six inch Playmates, which don't count. Right. Well, you can, you know, also. Uh, uh, Sand down her nose a bit and uh, make a uh, Battlestar Galactica figure. That's true. You can make her uh, uh, Admiral Kane. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was funny because uh, he was, uh, I guess, uh, on his social saying, "Oh, maybe I, I love Galactica. Maybe I should do Galactica toys." And I'm thinking, not if you still want to be in business in a year. Yeah, right? holy because, crap. Because I love Galactica, but you know, as I saw it with my book, and I, as I've heard from other licensees, there's just not a huge. It's a very loyal and intense. Uh, uh, fandom, but, but it's, it's not, not a broad uh, fandom. Large. It wasn't enough. even on Sci-Fi so Channel. I mean, yeah. that's the dirty little secret when it aired on Sci-Fi Channel. It got critical acclaim, but it was getting its ass kicked by things like uh, Stargate and you yeah. know a, lo a bunch of other shows. It was not, you know, it's like one of these shows now in streaming where they get a lot of 
you know, love, but there's not a ton of people watching it. And that was, you know, Galactica. So as much as I'd love for him to do the figures, I hope he doesn't because he's really doing a beautiful job. I mean, he has this weird thing where he wants to put out all the Voyagers and the Enterprise. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't need, I mean, it's like, he's really excited. He got Bellana Torres coming out. It's like, oh my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. He just like watching a real episode of Voyager. Yeah, exactly. They're as stiff as they are on the show. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, but, the, but, uh, but boy, I mean, I, you know, I, I know he's talking about doing more TOS. We're still waiting for the Disco McCoy and the yeah. uh, uh, Star Trek Admiral Kirk and Star Trek II Admiral Kirk and so many great things. So um, I can't begrudge him because he's just putting out so many of these and it was such amazing quality. And I have to say, I, I did get the Quark, but I just can't get all the Deep Space Nine. I don't have the room for it. But the, he, he previewed the Odo, which looks fantastic. Right. But it, it's just, I can't, I'm doing any classic. Does it have its own bucket? Anything that's, I'm sure yes. it does. Anything classic I'm doing, and I'm doing cherry picking next generation. Where, mm -hmm. But I can't start doing all the Deep Space Nine. I'm not going to do Voyager or Enterprise. Well, the great thing is uh, when you get the Quark figure, you can have it do uh, Henry V. And That's true. <laughs> Just like he does on our podcast. Yes. Oh, we're yeah. spoiling. Spoilers. Oh, no, no, he didn't do Henry V. He did Henry V last time. He does more different Shakespeare this time. No, he does Henry, no, he he does Henry III, V this time. First, yeah, he did oh, yeah, Richard III, the first Spock. Oh, yeah, he did Richard III. He did, Richard, he did, oh, he did, Richard he did III. Henry yeah, yeah. V, the final yes. frontier okay. on this one. Right, okay, yes. that's right. That's yeah. right. I'm, I'm getting all these convention appearances confused now. <laughs> yeah. It's like, who did what and where and how? I mean, we did, we talked about this. We did like five panels and we did that writer's thing and we did all the dinners. It was, it's all a blur. Yeah, totally. It's a it's big. Blurry. It's a it was big. A marathon. It's like my vision. It, it was. It was a marathon. But I'm glad that we were able to take Armin and Terry to dinner that last night. That was the Perry's dinner that was so yeah. so damn special and oh so delicious. Um, and that we were able to share that with him, especially after we kept missing dinners with Armin um, at the previous and convention in Raleigh. The target. Yeah, but um, and it was funny because we said to him, you know, we really loved what you did the last time when you performed Shakespeare. He says, I don't know if they really, <laughs> we, I'm like, are you kidding? When it was on the podcast, we got all these emails and tweets and things telling us how spectacular it was. He goes, really? It's like, yeah. yeah. Says, should I do something like that again? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, I didn't think I should. But if you think, I'm like, people were like so moved yeah. and blown away. And it's like, it would be great. We want to do a deeper dive into that. Not the Ratchet and Clank stuff, which I know is very popular with your audience, but we want to talk more about Shakespeare and do a deal. He said, "Oh, okay. If you think if you think that'd be okay, I'm like, yeah, we we we, we think be it'd okay. be great. Yeah, it would be think okay. It'd be great. Yeah. And 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 Terry was such a good sport, and I think she was really impressed as well. So absolutely, um, that that was uh, that was terrific. Um, Darren, Mark, what, what, something else that's really I think exciting. Obviously, we both have that beautiful CD set from La La Land, the complete mm -hmm. original series collection. But they are now putting out the 1701 series, which is right. a chance for those people who missed out on the original soundtracks to get virtually every piece of music right. that was on that box set. And I'm glad it's not just a reissue of the box set, because I like that being something yeah, it's, special. It's special. They're, they're releasing it uh, season by season. Yeah. So it's a different packaging, different uh, arrangement, and it's uh, 
you know, it's the same wonderfully delicious music, but uh, in uh, a way that uh, you'll be able to uh, get stuff that you haven't heard before. And someone asked Matt, they said, well, what's the difference between the box set and, and the 1701 series? And he said, well, we're not going to have the source music, which right. I think is a great choice. They're not going to have like Maiden Wine and, um, you know, a step into Eden. Like that is, you can only get on the box set, right? Thank goodness. Uh, uh, but, but I, <laughs> but I love having that. I love having that. But I, 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 but you know, on the 1701, it's all this brilliant, you know, cues from uh, the original series. Carry young ladies and value uh, your wine. Be watchful of young men in their velvet prime. Now I'm not going any further because uh, you'll have to get the original set for that. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think it's great. And there's, they're packaged so nicely. And, um, you know, the, the layouts, so the graphics are great and they sound great. And I just think it's terrific that um, La La Land, which has done so many terrific soundtracks, um, over the years is, is doing, is, is reissuing this because I know Absolutely. a lot of people have asked about it. So if you're a big fan and who isn't of the music from the original Star Trek, check out lalandrecords.com uh, and, uh, order that today because you, you will not regret it. I mean, some of the best, uh, orchestral music ever written for television and most memorable. Indeed. For yeah. sure. It, it's an overused word, but iconic. Um, so. Before we uh, jump into this interview with Armin and Terry, got to ask you, what's your favorite non-Star Trek project of Terry Farrell's? Hmm. You know, I well, go ahead. I'll let you go first. first. No, no, no. You go. Ask very dangerous. You go first. <laughs> I gotta say that I love Back to School. I absolutely do. I, I saw it again uh, a couple weeks ago, and it is so freaking funny, and it's so nice to see Terry there enjoying herself and uh, in the midst of this madness. And you know, uh, freaking uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, before his uh, before his fall and resurrection, uh, it's it's great. And uh, Rodney Dangerfield is, I think, the funniest he's ever been in a movie. In that movie, oh and yeah, I, I just I just love it and. It is sort of corresponded uh, to the time when I started at USC. So I, I was seeing all these sort of locations that they uh, had used in the movie. And uh, it it uh, it made a big impression on me. So I, yeah. I enjoy it a lot. What about you, Ash? You know, it, it's not a great movie. It certainly isn't. Well, it's funny because on a graded on a sliding scale, it, it kind of is. But uh, it's it's not a great movie, but I have a soft spot in my heart for it. It's Hellraiser 3. Sure, and it's it, it, you know it's it's so interesting. It's like and the the things about it that really work like work great. Like Doug Bradley is great in that movie. He's got a great relationship with her in that movie. Um, and I love it keeps Doug. you on like, pins he, and needles. Yeah, I totally do. But like, but his uh, his his portrayal of himself as just this this yeah. you know this you know British officer like World yeah. War One, just like he's fantastic. Uh, he's like, he is definitely one of my, uh, my favorite actors I've ever worked with. It was my pleasure and joy to work with him, but it was just, but it's, they're great together. It's like Hellraiser then, episode one. It is kind of. <laughs> the Phantom Menace. Wait, no, it's no. Don't insult it. Um, no. okay. Those are, those are great choices. And Mark now, loves Becker. I do. I like her. Yeah, Look, I, I think am. she's very funny. So yeah. I do, yes. I do, I do like her and, and, and Becker. Um, but yeah, and she's great in Back to School. I mean, Back to School, if you haven't seen Back to School, 
you should absolutely make a point of going to see it because of renting it or streaming yeah. it or buying it because it's just great. Um, and then um, what about Armin, Ashley? What's your favorite Armin performance outside of Star Trek? Holy shit. Um, outside of Star Trek? That's not fair. Uh, Cop Rock. I talked to him about Cop Rock before you know we went Buffy on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, honestly. Yeah. Um, he's, he's absolutely terrific on Buffy. Yeah, he really is. He, he, he's, he's great on Buffy. You know, this is a great thing. He's a serious actor. And I feel Very like, serious. you know, he's able to elevate anything that he's he's in. And, um, you know, we see it with the Shakespeare performances. Yep. He's, he's a gentleman and a scholar. Right. And uh, I think uh, I think you'll see it. Uh, I know we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we got some great new stories for Armin and uh, obviously joined by Terry Farrell, who is just fantastic. Um, and we're about to uh, join them uh, live from Galaxy Con after these brief commercial messages. We'll see you in a few minutes. Promenade, humble quark at your service. Behold, Star Trek Deep Space Nine action figures. Commander Benjamin Sisko, he helps me run the station. And Security Chief Odo, very strict and sneaky for someone so honest. Here's Lieutenant Dax, Chief O'Brien, and Major Kira Nerys. I happen to know she's crazy about me. Wonderful, aren't they? Especially this one. So handsome. Pains me to part with it, but if you pay me now, ah, security, what a pleasant surprise. On this week's Super Train Mystery, hail to the chief. Two dwarfs and a magician replace a presidential candidate with a double so real, even his wife can't tell. JJ, all I want to do right now is go to On Super Train. Gene, you can best serve the mission and the Confederation by staying aboard. I want you to ready the ship for an escape at a moment's notice. But Commander... Face it, Spacehead. The Commander's afraid you'll get him killed down there. You little... Just a little robot joke. As this is a suicide mission, I can't order any of you to come with me. I can only ask for volunteers. As a vegeton, death holds no threat to me. I don't know the meaning of the word fear. Ask me. I'll explain it. We'll go, Adam. To die with you would be so romantic. I'd do anything for the chance to die with you, Adam. Thank you both, but hopefully it won't be that romantic. Oh, Commander, this just isn't fair. We finally get a good suicide mission, and I gotta hang up here with this little cowardly hunk of metal. I'm not offended. Cowards live longer. Gene, you'll do as I say. You can't do this to me, Commander. I need action. Knowing that you guys are down there being up here, I'm telling you, I'll go crazy. You'll be fine, Gene. I guess I will, Commander. I'll, I'll just catch up on my letter writing and do my nails. That's fine, Gene. All right, are we ready? Betty's. We follow you to the ends of the universe. I would follow you to the door. Prepare to transport down. Gene, transport down. Hey guys, welcome to the closing day of GalaxyCon Austin. What a great inaugural convention it's been, huh? Everybody having a great time? Well, we are, we are so thrilled because we have two of my absolutely favorite people joining us for this next panel. 
and Ashley and Darren as well. So I'm going to introduce um, my co-host on Inglorious Trexperts. Uh, you know him as the associate producer of Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition, great Hollywood concept artist, Darren Doctorman. And the writer of Thor and X-Men First Class, as well as uh, the showrunner of Dota Dragon's Blood, Ashley Edward Miller. And now, how do I introduce these next two people? Because, of course, the restrictions on Writers Guild is very different than SAG. I'm not allowed to mention anything they may have done. So I'm trying to think, how can I make sure that everybody knows who these people are? First word um, rhymes with... Okay, first I'm going to introduce, he's the husband of Kitty Swink, it's Armin Shimmerman. And also joining us is the headline entertainment, she's Ford Model of the Year 1985, Terry Farrell. And that's all we can say. So we're going to sit here in silence for the next 50 minutes. Um, no, and, and you, you understand why um, the situation is, why we have to ask them, like, what their favorite color is and as opposed to things that they've worked on. Armin, you were so articulate in explaining what's at stake in the SAG sure. strike. I wonder if you would be kind enough to do it again for this audience just so they know why we're playing this little game where we can't talk about the uh, elephant in the room. Sure. Uh, let me just give you my bona fides. Um, while I was working with Terry on that show that can't be mentioned, um, I was also a union official. I was a, a union official at the Screen Actors Guild. And so I have some in, insight into what's happening now. Now it's called Screen Actors Guild AFTRA. Um, the reason why um, we're not naming the show that Terry and I worked on that she was so phenomenal on um, is that... Uh, the actors and the writers are both on strike against uh, the studios and the, the networks that produce those shows. Um, our union feels strongly that by mentioning the show, by mentioning the name, uh, if, if we were to say that, Terry might say something wonderful about that show, and you might say, oh, I, I don't remember that episode. I'm going to go and see it, which would mean you would go and see it. They would get some revenue from the fact that you went to see it, and, and that, in that way, we would be helping our producers as opposed to striking against them. So that is why we're, we're asked not to mention the show. So that's the primary reason. Uh, we're also, the writers and actors are both on strike because there are some major issues. Because the way shows are made nowadays is different from when Terry and I were working together. And, um, and that's causing a great deal of problems. And we have to look at that model over again and figure out a way to have just remuneration for uh, everybody who works on the show, especially the actors and the writers. I, I will tell you a little known secret. Most actors are not millionaires. Um, and, and, and in order for, for the next generation of performers to be able to survive, literally survive, uh, we have to set up these new parameters. When we, um, I'll make this short, I'm sorry, I'm going on longer than you expected. But when we worked, we did 26 episodes uh, a, a year. Now, let's say on the show that my friends uh, from, from 
Yeah. Um, uh, the, the latest show with my friend Patrick Stewart, not mentioning a show, but my, the latest show with my friend Patrick Stewart, um, they only do 10. So we've just cut the revenue more than half. Um, and, and not only that, they, they have to wait long periods of time to find out if they're going on to continue their work or not. And all these things have to be readjusted, reshaped, reformed so that everybody is treated fairly. Thank you very much. And I... I'd just like to add as well, as a member of the IOTSE, the International Alliance of uh, Stage and Theatrical Workers, uh, we stand with our brothers and sisters who are striking. And uh, even though we're being affected by it as well, we, uh, we stand in, uh, in solidarity. Thank you, Darren. And, and I would like to add that, uh, you know, Armin makes a great point about, you know, when the actors get up and they mention that show that they can't mention that they worked on, and you might go, wow, that's interesting. I'm going to go watch it. when he said the next generation of actors, he was, oh, not, yeah. referring He's not referring to, to that. a show. But, and that's all very true, that he doesn't want to do that. Now, the Writers Guild of America allows us to mention these shows because they know that if we mention something in speaking to you, it won't matter. Uh, so... <laughs> We can answer all the questions you like. <laughs> so true. Um, and so hi, if, gang. <laughs> and as what long as we're not we talk about the rest of the studio, that's the difference. The WGA is as long as we don't, we're not there to support a studio project on behalf of the studio. We can talk about whatever we want and bore you to death. Okay, so Terry and Ar Armin, I'm very interested. In what led you to this business? We, you know, Armin just talked about how this business has become so hard. Um, it's, it's so challenging. Um, breaking in has never been harder. When you were first considering a career as an actor, what was it that drew you to the performing arts? And I'll start with Terry. <laughs> That's a brilliant answer, Terry. A brilliant answer. <laughs> I stumped you. I, She's playing And I, and I was the same look. way. <laughs> there was a show that I can't talk about. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, truth, truthfully, I started modeling first when I was a teenager. And um, I moved to New York City. And one of the first things... This, I'm just, you know, truncating a lot of the story. But... Um, an agent said to me, one of the agents at the agency, we have a sister agency that uh, handles acting. Would you like to be an actor? And I said, well, yeah, okay. What do I have to do? Well, nothing. We're, we're just going to sign you. Would you like to start acting classes? I said, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I was a cover girl. That was about five minutes later, almost literally. And I got a, TV, uh, a commercial um, for, I don't know, it was like a, in New York, Abraham Strauss. They used to do these commercials. Oh, A&S, yeah, of course. Right? And, yeah. and at first, what they do, and this is how they got the models their SAG cards, what they did was they did commercials where they showed pictures on a commercial, right? So you didn't have to really, you weren't really acting. You went to a photo shoot and then suddenly it was a commercial. Ta-da, $1,000 later, you have your SAG card. That's how I got my SAG.
Uh, and Armin, it, it you had cost the same story. It cost $1,000 to get into SAG. That time. In, right. in like 82. And, and, and you're, you're breaking in stories the same, right? You were modeling Zach in New York. modeling. And... Definitely. <laughs> Believe it or not, we competed all the time for the same jobs. She got more than I did. I did. Not, not always. I didn't get the Shakespeare jobs. No. No. But how about you, Armin? What, what was the impetus for you deciding that this was a career that you, you wanted to pursue? Girls. <laughs> Um, I was uh, uh, I was in a, a high school class. I just moved to that high school, and there were I didn't know anybody, nobody at all. I certainly didn't know any women, and uh, all these girls were in the drama club. So I thought, why not just join the drama club? You and Max are a lot alike. <laughs> and we went to the same school. You went to the same high school. My son, Max. Not Max Gredenchik. They're nothing alike. No, no, no. They're nothing alike. They're nothing alike. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, uh, and what happened was uh, I didn't go to college for acting. I went to college to be a poli-sci major. Um, and uh, I was, I am the luckiest actor that I know. Uh, I just, they kept hiring me. They just kept hiring me all the time. So I, I got, I got roles in school. And then immediately after college, I got hired in a Shakespeare festival and, um, while I was there in San Diego, a great many New York actors told me I have to move to New York. And so I moved to New York, and uh, again, the luckiest person I know, uh, almost immediately, almost as soon as you got your modeling job, I got a Broadway show. So, um, and then I just went on to do more Broadway shows. In fact, Chris Sarandon, who's here uh, this, uh, at this convention, he and I did a Broadway show together uh, called Broadway, ironically enough. Um, <laughs> And so it, it just, they just kept hiring me and, um, and I was smart enough to let them. <laughs> you know, since he's not here to remind you, uh, Rene Bourgeois did a lot of Broadway. Did you know that? Uh, I didn't know that Rene did a lot of Broadway. Now, Rene, um, uh, in the theater world, Rene is a prince. Uh, Rene, when you mentioned Aubergenois, uh, Aubergenois. When you mention Aubergenois uh, to theater producers or theater actors, they, they kneel because uh, he's... A, you may know him as, as, I can say this, you, you may know him as Odo, but, but to the theater community, uh, he is a god. He's a god. So, Terry, so you started doing these commercials, but when did you... I mean, obviously, there are a lot of, you know, models that did not go on to very illustrious careers. I mean... You know, I think of Paulina Porskova and her alibi uh, among many. You know, that just because you have the looks doesn't mean you have the talent for uh, acting. And yet you went on to a very successful and continue to have a very successful uh, career. At what point did it become more than just your agent saying, hey, there's this acting thing? Did it become a passion for you and something that you realized you wanted to make a career? Well, uh... I didn't want to have to go back to Iowa and go to uh, community college. <laughs> and so I think really the passion about going to New York City and trying to make it, my uh, being 17 and not having any family or anyone near me, I just, out of survival really, just said yes to every job that came my way. And when I was 19, I got a TV series for 
one of the three networks. Can I say that? Yeah, because you can't buy that on, it's not on streaming. You can't even buy it. You can't buy it. Paper dolls. And I was 19. And also, also, honestly, like you, I just kept, actually, I kept trying to move back to New York after I got paper dolls and had to relocate to L.A. At the time, Los Angeles was really quiet in the early 80s, and I hated it compared to New York. So I kept trying to get back to New York. And every time I'd get myself kind of settled, like, you know, a week or two in New York, I'd get a job and I'd have to go back to L.A. So really, I was just smart enough to keep saying yes to any job I would get. And um, I kept working. And, and for me, I think the bug came along. One of the first scenes I ever did or first sonnets I ever did in Shakespeare sonnet class was just that connection to feeling like the words felt second nature and that feeling of, I have goosebumps right now, I miss working so much, that feeling of an alternate reality that you're sharing and exchanging with another person. And you guys aren't in our world, but you're enjoying it. But that part I'm not thinking about. I'm thinking about connecting to the person that I'm playing pretend with. And that magic of how that feels was like, uh, yeah, I was trying to find a better word than drug, but yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Sag lets you mention drugs. It's okay. Did you, we can talk about drugs. Did Great. you have the sense? Just don't go looking for your favorite one. That, did, you, <laughs> did you ever have the sense of being... The acting drug. Did you ever have the sense of being separate from yourself during those, where you are an observer? Yeah, I can, I can feel that, yeah. Because that's a fascinating thing. And not watching yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. The Uh, watching yourself is horrible. That part is like, you got to divorce yourself from that. But, oh, sorry, go ahead. So, yeah, uh, when I, in one of my first roles, uh, a play called The Crucible, I had the good fortune to play John Proctor. And uh, I remember I was on stage for most of the time because it was the lead part. And... um, I remember coming off stage at the end, taking the curtain call, and not remembering what just happened for two hours because I was indeed in John Proctor's mind and not in my own mind. Yeah. But it's interesting because Steve Martin, who wrote a book about his uh, stand-up years, he talks about when he's performing, he is in the future and the past at the same time. He's in the past evaluating what his body is doing and his mind is in the future, planning what he's going to do. And it's just a fascinating thing how the mind can be split up mm-hmm. during these kind of So things. he knows who the murderer in the building is. That's then. right. <laughs> yes, he does. Every season. Every season. How about every episode? But, but there is a third part to that, Darren. You're, you're absolutely right. I totally agree with what Mr. Martin says. But also there's a third part, and that's what Terry was talking about. Right. Because even though you're in the future, in the past, the, the same isolated time, connection. in the present with right. the other person that you're performing with. You're listening, just like you do in real life, listening to somebody, and you're also listening to how you're saying something to them. So you're listening to yourself in that sense because you're trying to communicate what you really want to get across to that person because you really also want to understand what they're saying. So you're actually being the best listener you've ever been when you're acting. And it's not just what they're saying, it's how they're acting, how they're Mm -hmm. reacting, what their body is doing, uh, what their tone of voice is. All of that is being digested at the same time. And, And 
when you're performing, no matter which take you're doing or what, or what scene you're doing from a play, they're always going to be different. It's always going to be slightly different. Even if you've done it a thousand times, it's going to be slightly different. And a good actor will take into consideration what that difference is, even if it's minor, and, and, and incorporate it into the way you're speaking to someone, which happens to everyone. When you're talking to someone, you're always, you're always uh, in the wave seeing what the other person is doing. In the responding moment. In the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but wait, this is even better. Wait, it gets more complicated. Then there's what's happening behind the words, right? So there's the part of your part, are you the red herring? Right. Do we really know what's happening? The you really The subtext. So there's also some things where it's really frustrating for me sometimes to watch. And I share, four of you, if this happens to you, and I think, oh, I don't know what that actor meant. Was that bad directing or bad acting? Right. Or did they mean for me to be wondering what's going on? And that ticks me off. Because I'm not supposed to be thinking any of those job-related questions in my mind. I'm supposed to be enjoying the, yeah. You're supposed to be in it too. Yeah, and when you find out it's bad storytelling, you might want to say, cut, let's do that again. Because (laughs) what smells in the room? That acting. I did not believe you for a second. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Terry, I want to ask you, there's an old expression, God doesn't give with two hands. And yet you were, you know, Mal, you were, you know, stunningly beautiful. You still are, of course. And um, you had an incredible facility with screwball comedy. Like, I, I find you amazingly funny. And I'm not going to say in what, but yeah, I find I'm you so very, very, very funny. <laughs> and I wonder if you grew up on, like, those um, classic, you know, Howard Hawks comedies. Like, what were your influences growing up? You know, did you watch, um, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Carol Lombard and all that? Was that an influence on you growing up? Like, what were the films and... TV shows and books that... We want a list right now. Carol Burnett. (laughs) Yes. Loved Carol Burnett growing up. Um, Laugh-In. Abby (laughs) DeThayed. Hi, Abby DeThayed. That's the truth. (laughs) It was a terrible spit. (laughs) That that was a post-COVID spit. Um, Yeah. uh, No, uh, very much uh, Catherine Hepburn. I like her very much, too. But yeah. Armin, same, same question. I know Shakespeare has been such an important part of your life for a long time now, and you, you very successfully teach Shakespeare. Can you tell us sort of when you fell in love with Shakespeare and, and what reached out and sort of touched you and, and how you express that affection and that love to audiences that maybe find it difficult to get entry because they can't get past the language or anything like that. Uh, Yes, uh, right after I did The Crucible, I had the good fortune to do The King and Hamlet, Claudius, and uh, that was the beginning of that. Then I had uh, enormous... This is going to be a long answer, Terry. Um, uh, Then I had the enormous... Yeah, go to sleep. Uh, Then I had the the enormous uh, good fortune to uh, go to college and have a tremendous professor. His name was David Rhodes, who instilled in me a, a, great, a great love for Shakespeare. I'm going to, this is why I know it's a long answer. I'm going to now tell the tangential story. So the, David Rhodes has a lot to do with a lot of us being here today. Uh, not just me being here, but you being here today as well. Um, years ago, 
David, who came from, a, from Texas uh, and had, a, I guess it was a wealthy oil family uh, and had a little extra change in his pocket. So he used to invite these young British actors to come to UCLA, where I went to school, where he taught, uh, to help with the teaching of his uh, English classes. And one of those young actors was a very young Patrick Stewart. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but a man named Bob Justman, who was one of the producer writers of the original Star Trek series, uh, came to UCLA, saw this young actor performing in the classroom, and went back to Roddenberry and said, uh, I think I found the captain. And so uh, David Rhodes, my teacher, is, is really responsible for Patrick Stewart being Picard. Um, then, I, as I said, uh, right out of college, I immediately went to work, I, and I studied, I gave up poli-sci and, and became an English major, and uh, with a specialization in Shakespeare, I was just fascinated with the language, fascinated with the history, and with the characters, and immediately became a Shakespearean actor in a very prestigious theater in San Diego called the Globe Theater. And, um, and I thought after all my college training, I was all of 25 at the time, that um, this is what I was always going to do, that I was going to work at this theater in San Diego forever and, uh, and be, a, a, be a Shakespearean actor. Um, and uh, um, that didn't happen. But <clears throat> here's where it gets longer. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a quiz on this. But <laughs> this day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that lives this day and sees old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispin's day. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. And our names, familiar in their mouths as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester shall be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. And this story shall the old man teach his son. And, and Crispin Crispianus shall go on from this day till the ending of the world. But we in it will be remembered. We few we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me will be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, will think themselves accursed they were not here. And hold their manhoods cheap that ever speaks whilst... Oh, oh my God, I've forgotten the last words. Uh, <laughs> 
and hold our manhood seats while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. For Harry, Armin, we can go again. Would you like to pick up from the middle of the no, speech? No, in the theater, there are no take twos. <laughs> you get it right or you don't. Sure, thank you, thank you. For Harry. What? For Harry. For Harry and, and St. Christmas Day. Yes, thank you. I can hear a pin drop. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> You're fantastic. I just couldn't believe you broke the fourth wall. I wouldn't have known any different. And look what you did. Kitty would know the difference. She would. Yes, yeah, she would. Did I you guys? No. Yeah, you were amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I want to ask you, from Shakespeare to voiceovers, I want to ask you, obviously, you are very well known for your voice on Ratchet and Clank. Um, and do you prepare for voiceover any differently than for live action? I assume for live action. Oh, my God. Yes, it's huge. <laughs> First of all, you don't get a script until the moment you say the words. So um, you don't get a script at all in voiceover. You, you get a series of lines, and what you do is they show you the line. You've never seen the line before, and there it is. And, and what I do is I tell them, I will do three takes of this line. You pick which one you like. If you don't like any of the three picks, then ask me to do it again, and I'll do another three. But uh, I, I, I don't know what I'm saying the first time. The first time I say it, I'm trying to just say the words in front of me. Um, and then having said it once, I go, oh, okay, now I have a better understanding. And then I say it a second time, and that's usually better. And then the third time, uh, it's, it's usually the one they usually pick. But, but, but for, for us, when we get a script uh, on TV, we don't get it much ahead of that. Uh, we would get it, what, 24 hours, do you think? Or the next morning or you get changes. Morning. Yeah, yeah, there's always changes. After you've learned a page of a monologue. Yeah. And like one or two words are different, and you're like, really? Because that's going to fuck my shit up. <laughs> yeah, and say it with plastic teeth at the same time. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly, Terry. Exactly. Except for I would take your lines over mine if we were going to do something with plastic teeth. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, you, you got the techno babble. Well, and that's the thing I was going to ask you about, Terry. I mean, on a show that shall remain nameless, um, uh, you, you had an immense amount of words that don't exist in the English language completely made up. Not French. So there's no, <laughs> there, there's no point of reference. You know, you, you can't, like, really dive into the material because it's all completely fabricated and you have no context for like it. EPS that must be, it's, it's not even more than learning a foreign language. It's lear learning a no language, Esperanto. Um, what, was it, what, what is that like for you, especially when you're having those changes thrown at you? Uh, incredibly stressful. But the key thing, um, incredibly stressful to have it memorized, especially on so little sleep. And I, I mean, I lived it. I had other performers get very upset with me because, uh, well, he's not here to defend himself, but would get very frustrated. And it's easy to get frustrated when you don't know what it's like to be in my shoes, too. So now that I'm an adult, it's a little different. But... Um, 
But the more important thing, what you're talking about is made up things. They just have to have uh, the intention. I have to make up what it means. And it doesn't matter if it's the same thing you believe it to mean, because as long as I'm convinced it is this to me, you're going to believe whatever you want to believe about it, right? Mom, my emotion can look like I'm upset. You don't know. You think I'm upset about whatever this storyline is telling you about. You don't know that I'm having, I'm thinking I'm sticking up for my sister. You think I'm sticking up for another character. But not to me. I don't really care about that character. I care about my sister. So I'm sticking up for my sister. That's who I'm going to jump in front of a bus for or in front of a phaser. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the same kind of thing. So whatever kind of alien it is, it doesn't matter as long as to me, it's those beings are real. You create your context for it. Exactly. So that to me is what takes the time. It took the time is because it has to be real in my mind. And if it's real in my mind, you can see it and believe it through my eyes. One of the wonderful things for both of you that the success of certain shows you've worked on. It gives you a platform to advocate for philanthropy and um, also really make a change in people's lives, which is, I know you've heard it many, many times from fans whose life you've changed or careers you've inspired. Armin, specifically, I want to talk to you about pancreatic cancer because this is something that you and John Frakes and John Billingsley are very, very active in, and you have something coming up. I'd love to give you the chance to talk about it, if you would. Thank you. Um, this doesn't Microphone. Oh, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this doesn't involve a Shakespearean monologue. So, um, um, my lovely wife, Kitty Swink, uh, 42 years of marriage now. Um, but 19 years ago, of those 42 years, my wife was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And uh, she... Uh, had very good doctoring. And at that time, there was a 6% survival rate for pancreatic cancer. Um, and, uh, and she survived. Um, and we're very grateful for that. In order to give back to the world uh, for thanks for that great blessing, that great miracle, Kitty and I, uh, originally with Jonathan Frakes, we went to a wonderful organization called PANCAN, which is an advocacy group for people who have pancreatic cancer. And it not only helps the patients and their families, but it also helps for research into a cure for, for pancreatic cancer. And thanks to the, the work that they've done over the course of several decades now, uh, the survival rate has doubled. It's still not great. But it went from 6 to 12. And uh, Jonathan lost his brother to pancreatic cancer. John Billingsley lost his mother to pancreatic cancer. I hope that's it's not true, but perhaps one or two of you in this room have also had to encounter pancreatic cancer. I hope you never have to do that. But um, Jonathan and, 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 and John and myself and Kitty every year uh, do advocacy for their major national event, uh, which is called Purple Stride. Uh, last year, I believe there were 60 marches in 60 different cities around the country. 
where we raise money. People walk for five miles or so uh, and, and raise money in order to give back to pancreatic cancer and they in turn give that money for research or to help. I, I will make a little uh, advertisement, a little commercial. If anyone is, has a family member, a friend, um, anyone at all that you know of, and they have been given that diagnosis, please, please have them call PANCAN or call the organization um, and, and ask for their advice. They are invaluable for that. And if anyone feels gracious enough to uh, want to contribute to this charity, go to www.pancan.org, or maybe com, I can't remember which, um, and every year, we've just started this week, every year uh, the, we, we have something called Team Trek. Uh, you, you'll want to go to their website. It'll, it'll say Teams on it on, on one of the, on one of the uh, menu items. If you click that and then you write in Team Trek, you can make a contribution uh, towards PanCan in our honor. Um, last year, we, we raised, PanCan raised I think $16 million last year. And I believe uh, our team, which didn't come in first, I think we came in third, we raised $80,000. So if there's anyone here who did contribute, thank you very much. If in the future you want to contribute, go to PanCan, make a contribution. Can I, and when, when is the walk every year? Uh, yeah, it's usually in April. Thank you, Terry. Uh, it's usually in April. It changes because we usually have it on a weekend, so weekends change. Uh, so, so go to PanCan. If, if, go to my website uh, or Jonathan Frakes' or Kitty's website or Billingsley's, and uh, we'll certainly announce it. But uh, And I, I, I went to one uh, last year. I went to one in L.A. The year before, I went to one in Kansas City. It's always a, a wonderfully fun affair. People are just excited to be there. Yes, there are people who've been affected by, pan, by pancreatic cancer, but they're just people there, good people with good hearts who want to see this disease stop. And, and contributing to any cancer organization, I believe, helps cure other cancers as well. Because although the cancers are different, the research tends to believe first or second cousin to whatever you've got. And I want to mention, you know, we just lost um, the great Manny Cotto to pancreatic cancer, who was the showrunner on uh, Enterprise. And um, we did an episode of the podcast uh, with um, Brandon Braga and Mike Sussman talking about and, and a bunch of interviews I had done with Manny over the years. And um, it was a real tragedy to lose him so young and such a talented guy. So, And in fact, we're reaching out. This is, we, uh, Frakes and Kitty and I uh, and John... Uh, had a conversation with PanCan just before we came here, and we're reaching out to his brother to help join our oh, team. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah his and, brother is wonderful. And and let me make this very clear, please. My wife is the exact is the is the paragon example of this. If you hear someone has pancreatic cancer, it does not mean they have to die. It does not mean that. My wife is an 18 year survivor, uh, and there are other people like that. Um, if someone gets this, this diagnosis, please tell them not to go to a dark place. There is hope. There is possibility. The, the chances are not impossible. And we're getting better thanks to PanCan every year. Please tell your friends that. Thank you, Armin. Um, 
I know we should go to questions because I'm sure you guys have some questions. So just keep in mind, let's not ask specifically about, and as much as we want to talk about back to school, we can't do it this time. We'll do it next time. Uh, but come on up wait, to the mic. Wait, Don't can mention we, that thing of One ours. more thing before we get to questions. Can we talk maybe a oh. little bit about this? Please, go ahead. You have the floor. My friend Armin Shimmerman has... You Alan already, Shimmerman? Armin Shimmerman. Oh, okay. You've already finished three, right? Is this number... This is the first one. This is the one I have at my house. I haven't read it yet. Because she's a terrible friend. But it's on your bookshelf. It's on my bookshelf. It's actually... I'm really excited and proud to have this bookshelf because, and you guys aren't on it, so you're going to have to donate some books if you've written any. Okay. But my friend Armin has written three, and this one is called Betrayer of Angels, Illyrica. Is that Illyria? Illyria. Just like book one. Book one. The Queen's, okay, the Queen's Conjurer. Dr. John Dee is an Elizabethan magician, mathematician, is what I meant to say. You know what? I'm going to stop now because I don't have my glasses. <laughs> well. But, but. You're just a tiny bit tired. And I'm a tiny bit tired, as my friend Armin was sharing. But he'll tell you more. But I just, I just wanted to make sure he said something because I'm so incredibly impressed he sat still long enough to not just write one, but to write three. Now, now he has to honor his commitment to sign it for you for free. Oh, no, I bought it because I'm supporting oh, Thank you, friend. Terry. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so she's worked with Ferengi before. Uh. <laughs> uh, so questions for Terry and Armin. Uh, go up to the mic, please, so that we can... Get it on. And we'll try to get all of you in, but uh, don't feel uh, uh, As Bailey would say, there are 12 minutes left. And remember to state it in the form of a question. Yes. Um, my name's Rob, and uh, the, the um, strike. If we get rid of our um, streaming services and tell them it's because, no? No. Okay. Do not get rid of your streaming services. Okay. We want there to be work when we finish the strike. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Um, no, don't do not get rid of your stuff. Okay, that's don't it. buy more. There but, shouldn't um, be there okay. shouldn't be punitive act uh, actions. Uh, there should be uh, progressive actions to get action from the producers. Because then they'll keep There's no circuit poverty. firing squads. That would be yeah. bad. So. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Thank you. Yeah, that was a good question. <laughs> I thought that would be good too, but then I'm like, how am I going to be entertained? I, I just cancel my streaming services if I don't like the shows on them. That's all. Go ahead. That's a good reason. So that show that you were both on was frequently praised for being so pro-union. Um, in fact, I saw somebody at this con who was wearing a shirt that said he was more than a hero, he was a union man. Um, I was... I have not seen any other show that took a stance like that specifically on labor rights. Do you think that... that um, the, the portrayal of unions in the media has changed over time to sort of give it less of a front row? Or, or is that just something that was unique to the show that you were on? Um, I don't think I've seen that much about uh, labor unions. I don't watch uh, TV all the time, so I don't know for sure. Um, this is a right-to-work state, Texas. Uh, the, the union has always had a little bit of a problem with Texas. Um, 
but uh, we were, we did do an episode about uh, labor activism. I was management. A union. <laughs> and um, uh, I think my personal belief is that the labor unions built the middle class in this country. And because of them, people had a good living, could bring up their families. Uh, the eradication of, of, of labor unions, I believe, has only helped to widen the divide between the rich and the poor. And so uh, I'm very much in favor, as I said I was before I was a labor activist, um, that in favor of unions, and I would like to see the media do more about labor. Thank you for your question. Hi, my name's Martin. Uh, my question is, do you all have a passion project that you all would love to do, whether it's on stage or based on something that nobody's really heard of, like a book or a story? Ah, good question. What are your passion projects, Terry? What would you love to do? A documentary, perhaps? <laughs> what a great idea, Ashley. In fact, <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm going to go with these three, three silly guys all over California to show you and locations. Space. And space. You know what? Wouldn't that be great if we went to space? My dad actually said this. He said... I'm not her dad. You're going to locations, but... And I'm like, yeah, Dad, because I think that's really possible. We're going to go up into space. And I'm just going to be really grateful if I don't get sucked into the wormhole. We're going to get a green hole. screen and blindfold you and put you in. Never mind. But thanks so, for cutting me off, Mark. Yeah, ma ma <laughs> ma makethetrek.com. <laughs> what is it called? Makethetrek.com. Makethetrek.com. 60th Someone anniversary. Someone said boldly go, and I got that stuck in well, my head. The name head. of it is to boldly go. I like that. It is. Too boldly go. I've heard that So before. I think, and we talked about this yesterday, someone needs to call I just don't think Jeff could... Bezos. And who, who, who is the one who did the best um, Bill impression? Uh, I, can, uh, I can call Jeff. I know him. Yeah. Uh, we can go to space. That'd be great. I, I, I don't want to go again, but, uh, but these guys can go. I'll but go. Terry's ready, willing, and able to go to space. I'm taking my arm right out of the shoulder socket to go. <laughs> I don't know that anybody in my family will be happy about it, but yeah. And also, Armin and I are going to join the Delta Flyers when the strike is over to rewatch every episode of Star Trek. Oh. Of a, of a show that uh, doesn't have a name at this point. That thing you did. Oh. On that place where we met. <laughs> yes, that on that time. place where we met. Oh, I that, like that. That place, like far, far away out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's like the we went office by that ladies, thing. but you're not watching the office. No, yeah. it also kind of goes with the Terry Metalis wanting to bring that person I used to pretend to be back to life, which I thought was pretty awesome too. <laughs> that would be but, great. So, but Terry, you seem. Alive to me. Right. <laughs> now. Now. <laughs> yeah. What Thank you, you. What about you, Armin? What's your uh, dream project? Uh, I'd like to just collect money for PanCam. <laughs> Very good. Fantastic. Hi, my name is James. And there's something that's always bothered me is I look at the acting styles from the original series and the ones that you were in. 
It would seem to be much more theatrical, much more projection and enunciation, as if they were playing for an audience. And now I see it seems like everybody's sort of talking in hushed tones and mumbling as if there's a hidden camera somewhere. And I'm just, thank God for the back button, you know, the reverse button. And I'm just wondering if that's something that you've noticed and if if it's, it's a change in the industry or if it's just my imagination. Can I answer that? Please, sure. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, actors are now trained to talk like this, and uh, this is how they thought, because when you do it this way, you're more in touch with your feelings because you're not projecting. Now, that may be true. I certainly watched Ron Perlman do this for years when I was working with him. Um, so I think, I think people have been trained to do that, to talk like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's not good or bad. It's just matriculation. It's just change. Acting styles change over the course of generations. So this is just a change that is natural because, because microphones can pick up so much. That's Plus, there, there's, a, there's a, a range of actors who are working now who have only had television and film acting. Uh, and and they, they don't have stage training. I, I think and, there's and also in the a... 60s, most of the actors on television came from the stage. There, there's also, a, I think, a technical explanation for some of this. I think that a lot of the time, and it, it depends on, okay, look, when you mix a show now, sound design um, for television now, even versus 30 years ago, uh, is very different. It's a lot busier. There are a lot more channels, okay? Uh, and depending on who you've got to mix all of that stuff together, what can happen based on the sound system that you have is... The, uh, the, the channels that control like where you hear the dialogue and kind of how that fits into the mix can be messed up. So you can watch what you're watching on one system and it sounds great. You can watch it on another one and it sounds like mud. Um, so part of the answer for you, I think, is to kind of look at how you've got your, your systems. I, I have to do this. It's like just yeah. to look at all my stuff and go like, yeah, how do I have... surrounds turned on, if you have them turned off, yep. it, it all different. And, and not everybody, not every, you know, post goes through it and says, okay, are we safe for all of these environments? You know, it's like we do like a 7-1 and we do a stereo and then we're done. That's absolutely true. And I, I see a lot of kids say they watch it with the subtitles on, which drives me crazy. <laughs> um, and uh, leave me alone, Dad. But yeah, it's it's definitely something. It has a lot to do with sound mixing. But I think sometimes I have true. to have yeah. closed caption on, or I cannot I, because I don't. I get sick of rewinding. It's like everybody's yeah, Benicio right? del Toro. Uh, Give me the keys. Yeah. <laughs> also, TV speakers now on big screen TVs suck. So unless you have a sound bar and you know good sound system, it's going to bury the sound as well. But I think what you said about not coming from the theater, yep. number one, it's it's people don't know how to project. A I mean, I had a different lead. group of actors, and it's not just the actors though; it's the directors Absolutely. on the set asking for it. I've heard some directors tell them to, to- tone it down that you're mm-hmm. not on stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, the standard line is too much acting. Too, too much, much acting. acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's just not not just me. Good That's question. a fascinating question. Thank, thank you. Thank you. you. Yeah, it was a good Hi, uh, you said that sometimes you'd get a script change that was just uh, a word or two in a monologue. And in that uh, place that y'all met, uh, were you just like not allowed to ad lib or did you have to follow the script like really, really tight? <laughs> Verbatim. Yeah. Word for word. What was it? DLP, lovey. 
Dead letter perfect. Did, did that feel like? Or <laughs> you have to go back. Yeah. yeah. When we worked together, we had a lovely script coordinator, and uh, I certainly would turn to her. Maybe you did too. When we finished a take, we turned to, to to Judy Brown, and if she didn't say DLP, lovey, then we knew we had to do it again. DLP, dead letter perfect. Yeah, hundred percent. But it depends but, on the showrunner. But but t- talking of changes, I, I had it easy compared to the other show. She's do, you've done other shows, but the show that followed the, the one that you, we were on together, because they changed that in the middle of performance, right? Didn't they just change your lines in, in front of an audience where you had to just switch? Oh, yeah, the show I, the thing I did after. Yeah. On the other side of the sitcom. place on that we worked. the other side of the place. Right? Yeah. <laughs> same, same location, different. Down the road. Down, down the same road. address, different. But it all depends road. on the style and oh attitude God. of the show. Yeah. Right. Uh, it all depends on what the structure comedy, of it is. If it's comedy, you change it. Yeah, comedy is, is more fluid because you you can read the room and read how it's reacting, and you change it up a little bit to make the reaction that you want. So basically, I went into the dead letter perfect pan. I went from the pan into the fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Not every Thank show you. is like that. Not every show is a DLP. Some yeah. shows want. Uh, improvisation, and, uh, and and you just have to go with the flow. And actually, then it's really hard once you've done 10 years of what we were doing and suddenly have somebody want you to ad-lib. You're like, ah. Different muscle. It is a different muscle. And yeah. you had it so beaten into you that you can't change a word. I mean, John Wells is like that. He's happy to get notes before, but when it's on the stage, you can't change it. But then there are other showrunners who love to have uh, the actors, especially after a couple of years where you really know your characters, yeah. they know more than anyone. So they're open to it, but it all depends. But s- certain shows that rhyme with car wreck would, not, would never allow the actors to change anything. It was sacrosanct. It was etched in the tablets of Mount Sinai. Now, um, in fairness, Mount is it Sinai. the... Something that there's a phrase that we use, and I don't know, like if all the actors get to hear it, but it's uh, there's blood on the page, and what that means is that what people don't necessarily see or understand when the script arrives, and it doesn't matter what the department is, that some of those pages are the result of ugly, bitter, insane knife fights with executives, and that what is on the page represents the outcome uh, of that monumental epic battle. And so much blood was shed uh, that it would dishonor the soldiers. Speed questions. (laughs) We're at the the end, but we don't want to... Nobody else get online. Let's do this super quick. Um, I just wanted to say, watching uh, Terry, watching you interact with people over the past few days, you uh, genuinely remind me of characters that you've portrayed in the past. I wanted to ask how much of your character you feel seeps in, or how much of yourself uh, you feel seeps into your characters, and uh, whether you intend for that to happen or not. Uh, I studied with Stella Adler for a minute and uh, she would say you can't play something that isn't in yourself. And when you're a young actor, you don't want to believe that. But the truth is you can't. It's in there. It's in there. All of it's in there. And it doesn't mean that's who you are definitively. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I'm so sorry. We got to end, but they're going to be at their booths down on the floor. So come see them, meet them, talk to them, buy stuff, find out more about Armin's book. 
uh, and pancreatic cancer. Thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. Thank, Thank you, Armin. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We're off to interview Walter. See, we told you that we would have a great show for you, and we did not lie. That's Indeed, not a lie. It's not a lie at did. all. It was yeah. the truth. You know what would really excite me, and I, I've just been thinking about this a lot now, because, you know, we've had Terry Metalis on this show um, a few times. You know, I think Terry Farrell we've had twice now. And I think that we just... I think we need to bring them both in together. I think we just need to have Terry and Terry. We need to do the inglorious Terry spurts. And, you know, and in fact, I think we need to just seek out more people who do start name Terry. Name Terry. And just yeah. do Terry Fourth or something. I don't know. Wow. We should Terry Fourth and multiply. <laughs> what, about, what about Nigel Terry? Oh, Nigel oh Terry. from Excalibur. He passed yeah. away a couple of years. It'd be tough. Yeah, to be difficult. It'd be a little difficult, him, but, but not impossible. Try. <laughs> but by the way, you know, Armin was also in Stargate, uh, um, and he was great uh, the TV in, show. in in that. Is Stargate SG one? Yeah, and uh, of course, who can forget him in uh, Seinfeld? You know, that's the thing about him is he 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 could do drama, but he also could do comedy. He's yeah. he's very facile. And he still that can way. because he's, he's alive. He's what we call an all rounder. He is. Plus, I, I really loved him in an episode of The West Wing. Um, where he actually played Richard the Third. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but he's, Look, he's I, I absolutely love him in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Me well, too. Uh, he's incredible I love, in Deep Space Nine. And he didn't talk about this because he can't really yeah. talk about this. But you know, he, he he was sort of on an apology tour for the last Outpost. You know where right. he he you know. After they had said, oh, we're not going to have the Klingons, we're not going to have the Romulans, but we are going to have this great new species called the Ferengi. And then you met the Ferengi in the last outpost, and you're like, Ooh. if we ever see them again, it's too soon, right? right. And, and what was it that Gene said about the Ferengi, Darren? Well, you see, the great thing about the Ferengi is that they have these huge cod pieces uh, covering up uh, who knows what, but uh, we're sure it's very exciting for the Ferengi females. Who are who are who are naked at their uh, at their weddings? So it's all very exciting, and I'm looking very much forward to exploring more about these uh, amazing new uh, alien uh, uh, adversaries. Yeah. So the fact that he then you know was on Deep Space Nine and made the Frankie the most grounded and uh, beloved and memorable characters, and of course, whenever they needed somebody to do a crossover, another show, it was Armin. Cork yeah. was on Birthright, I think it was, for Next Gen. He was in Voyager. He was in, I mean, he, he would just show up on all these other shows. Um, he pretty was pretty funny the, I, Yeah. So, I mean, it's just amazing what Armin did there. And, of course, it would not be, um, you know, anybody who started a Woody Allen movie that I did not talk to him about Woody Allen. So I cornered him and we talked about Stardust Memories for a little while, right. which was his first major movie credit. Which uh, which was great to have the opportunity to talk to you about that because I love Stardust Memories, I love Stardust especially Memories. Stardust Memories Memories Memories. And you know he's also on one of our other favorite shows, uh, Darren. We didn't talk about that Paper Chase. 
That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, but we'll we'll talk about all this stuff and more once the strike is over, and we can really get into Indeed. a deep dive about his uh, about his career. But um, it's so great having. I really feel as though this um, opportunity it was a gift. Obviously, the strike was an awful thing uh, to have to endure, but at least we were able to make the most of it at these conventions by finding you know paths less traveled to explore. And yeah. they were all very interesting. And I hope our audience agrees with us. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah. even even without in, uh, restrictions in the future, I think that we need to sort of go this way more often. Because I was it, thinking it, the it, same thing. It does bring out yeah. things that, again, they don't get to talk about usually. And uh, things that are uh, way more interesting to the audience than the usual rote responses to overly used questions. It doesn't mean we can't talk about Trek with them, but of course. you know, it's it is fun to get them to open up about this other stuff. To lift up the layers of Trek and uh, sort of go deeper. Well, that was the show interesting. us what's under the cod piece. <laughs> that was, you know, I think an interesting thing that a lot of people responded to in both, you know, our our, our season premiere and uh, followed with Jonathan and our follow up with um, Walter Koenig. Yeah. He said how engaged they seemed. How yeah. much fun they seem to be having uh, because we try to ask the people we talk to things they haven't been asked a million times. And I think, uh, you know, that is hopefully the success of these interviews, the success of the show. And, uh, hopefully we'll continue to be able to do that. So anyway, on, uh, behalf of all of us, we're glad you joined us for another episode. And you can let us know what you thought of this by, uh, contacting us on social media at Inglorious Trek, Glorious Trek Experts on uh, Instagram and Twitter, now known as X and Threads and Post and Blue Sky. I don't know if we're ever there, but you can leave, leave a message and Facebook and just social in general. Of course, and please of course, rate us our, big, our big establishment at MySpace. <laughs> and Friendster. You can <laughs> Friendster. find us on Friendster, hanging out alone <laughs> without any friends. And, no Friendster. Uh, Please uh, rate us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you're a fan, you can uh, get more of us yakking uh, by subscribing to Deck 78 at trexpertsplus.com on Spotify, or you can go to the 430 Movie and subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts. You get the same wonderful bonus Deck 78 episodes, which has just been on fire lately with some great episodes, and we hope you've been enjoying them. And as always... uh, we enjoy being here with you every Thursday on the Trexperts. So until next week, on behalf of Ashley Miller, Darren Dockerman, myself, Mark A. Altman, keep on trekking ingloriously, of course. <laughs>